Welcome to The Birth Collective, a podcast to honour the birth journey collectively from conception, pregnancy, through to birth, breastfeeding and beyond. I'm your host, Tina Pullen, and in each episode, I'll be joined by experts in the birth space, as well as mums at different stages in their birth journey, sharing their knowledge and experiences. Welcome to another episode of the Birth Collective Podcast, and today I've got another birth story for you because I know you guys are loving the birth stories. And today I'm joined by Debbie. Hi, Debbie. Hi. Hi. So excited to have you here. Um, So tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Debbie. Um, I'm a mum of three. I have two under three and a 16-year-old. The 16-year-old is um, my husband's son from a previous marriage. and, um, And we have a weird dynamic but wonderful at the same time um and I I've taken a break from corporate world and I'm now running my own e-commerce business and I'm you know finding it really great to be able to work from home and then on on maternity leave I'm not gonna lie it's a bit of a challenge running you know family and at the same time running a business and wearing all the hats but um you know what I am actually really loving it so yeah that's me in a nutshell Awesome. So I met you, well, I didn't meet you in my class. I actually met you because you were my hip hop teacher. You also forgot to mention you were a dancer. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> so, yeah, we had, so when you were pregnant with your first, I was pregnant with my second. So, they, and they were born pretty close together. Mm. So, we we're kind of going through that mum thing together. Um, but, you know, I was telling you about hypnobirthing and stuff like that. And then you came along to, one of my classes for your second pregnancy. But before we get into that birth, I want to talk a little bit about your first birth. So how did mm. how did that pregnancy and birth go for you? It's it's really funny when I think back at it because both my pregnancies were so different. Um, my first pregnancy, I um, I don't know, maybe it's first mum, first time mum, you know, um, because I was I felt like I was really anxious. I felt like, you know, there's always the you don't know what you don't know. You know, I had really bad morning sickness. I had um what's that called? Hyper hypermesis, whatever that HG, whatever that I can never say it, but anyway, HG. Yes. Yeah. I had that. I had that for both my pregnancies. Um and I I feel like the first pregnancy was very I was always on edge. Like I was always just, you know, what's happening? What's that little, you know, inkling mean? What does this pain mean? You know. Um and I think that that I took it through to birth because, um, you know, I was induced early um, and early was 38 weeks and I, uh, and I was induced because of hypertension. And I, I, you know, totally unfounded in any medical kind of advice, but I feel like the hypertension was because of my anxiety, um, you know, and because I had hypermesis um, and because I was vomiting like pretty much all the time, <laughs> I pretty much lost a lot of weight. Like my first um, trimester, I lost six kilos. Um, I had to take on Dancitron just to get through the day, you know, and I try, you know, first time mom, you don't want to take anything. Like, you, you know, you're scared about what's happening. So I felt like that um, added to my anxiety because I was like, if I take it, I'm going to hurt the baby. Like, you know, but at the same time I was puking, like, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't get through the day. Yeah. So I guess that that was my first pregnancy in a nutshell. Um, but yeah, we, in terms of the birth being induced, I think uh, I, w- I had a private obstetrician. I, I didn't know any 
anything else I was like I need the best so therefore I, I need a you know private obstetrician and and she was lovely like she was a mum too so I felt like she understood um you know what I was going through but I felt like when I went to her because I was so anxious and upset about being sick all the time like she sent me to the hospital uh, at 38 weeks when I called her saying I was basically like crying and saying like I can't do this it's 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 too much like I'm sick all the time and I'm you know um so she sent me to the hospital because she thought that you know I was um dehydrated and I needed you know some sort of fluids and something you know so off I went to the hospital and then um they checked you know all the I don't know what they did all the tests and all that stuff and then they put a drip in me and then you know I, I went back home and you know I hoped everything was okay and, and I was okay for 12 hours and then I was back again because I was you know sick and all of that and then I when I was at the hospital at that time they pretty much said okay this is the plan I don't think I was dehydrated but obviously I was anxious so they had to, they felt like they had to do something and the you know the midwife basically said okay you're gonna stay overnight and we're gonna induce you tomorrow knowing what I know now <laughs> You know, I know in terms of like making empowered choices and all that stuff now, I, I probably should have said no, right? But I, first time mom, so I didn't know. I just went along with it. And then, yeah, so, yep. you know, they, they said, okay, we're, you know, it would be good if you take a sleeping pill tonight so you can get some sleep. I'm like, okay, sure. Took it. And then, you know, 7.30 in the morning the next day, they were like, the midwife's going to come in. She's going to break your waters and they're going to put you on a drip. And then that's the induction. Again, knowing what I know now, I know now that it's all medical intervention. It was totally unnecessary, but at the same time, I didn't have the tools to deal with it. And then, you know, Jaden was born and he was born, you know, he was great. He had all really high scores. And, you know, I think he, he, I had a, about a 12 hour induction kind of process you know and I didn't need to have I think the balloon is that what they call it when they um they yeah. open you I guess to dilate and stuff yeah I didn't need to yeah. have that because I was already dilated right so again if I had oh, wow. known yeah. if I knew what I knew what I know now it was just a time thing I you know if I was just a little bit more patient and gave myself some more coping skills you know I would have birthed him naturally but again didn't know so yeah I guess that was the first pregnancy and kind of the first birth yeah, you're so right. Um, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I'm a big believer. I've said this before, and I'll probably say it in every podcast episode. But I'm a big believer that every birth teaches you what you need to know, so it teaches you some sort of lesson that you're going to bring into your parenting journey, or some sort of lesson that you then need to know for the next birth. Because your next pregnancy was different for a few different reasons. But before we go into that, what was your mindset going into the second pregnancy? So what did you do differently to prepare for birth this time? Oh, man, my second birth was completely different. And it helped that I had surrounded myself with different thoughts and different people around me I mean first of all you <laughs> like mm -hmm. I you know I knew that you had a not similar but uh, you know we had similar first births in in the sense that yeah we knew what we didn't want <laughs> right yeah um yeah. and so I think that was the first step because even before I had started we had started trying for my second for the second baby I I knew that I didn't want what I had in my first and I knew that it it would be completely different because I knew that if I learnt more and if I was open to new techniques and research and thinking and all of that, it would be completely different. So going into the pregnancy, I didn't know what I was, what I needed to do, but I knew that I had a mindset of learning, learning new things to be able to get me through. Yeah. So I feel like, like what you said about each birth and each pregnancy teaches you 
about the next one, it so rings true for me because going into the second pregnancy, I just, I didn't know what, what I didn't know, but I knew what I didn't want. <laughs> yeah. You changed your model of care for mm. um, the second pregnancy. Well, yeah, not really so, a model. You just can't change mm. your provider, right? Did you yeah. now choosing an obstetrician the second time, did you have a little bit of a different process or was it just, you know, based on like a referral or, you know, how did you, how, what mm. led you to that choice? I, I didn't have a, you know, certain criteria that I was looking for in a new provider, but I knew that I still wanted to go private care, but I knew that I needed an obstetrician that was open to different ways of thinking, i.e. hypnobirthing or, you know, something a little bit different. I knew that I wanted to do the swaddle program. So, you know, private care that was covered by my health insurance. And so I looked at all of the obstetricians that were available on that program and, um, and I think it was you, Tina, that was telling me about, um, you know, this particular obstetrician was recommended by the hypnobirthing practitioner in that area. So that was a tick for me. I'm like, great, that's it. That's my person, you know. Um, and I did do my own research in terms of like looking at her background and looking at her website and all that stuff and, and seeing if it was a right fit. But I also knew that, you know, when I went in to meet her, it had to be a, like, I had to, I had to get along with her and I had, it had to be a fit, you know? And, and that was all great. Like when I met her, she was lovely and she really listened to, you know, what I wanted. And, you know, and I think Tina, one of our earlier conversations was, you know, what should I be looking for? What should I ask for? And and I think you said, ask her what her philosophy is on birth you know, and ask her, you know, what she would do in a certain, you know, certain kind of situation. So then I, I asked her, I said, look, how do you approach birth and how do you, um, you know, what's what's your kind of outlook on it? And and I asked her, like, I think I can't remember exactly what I said, but are you like pro-induction basically or, or something, you know, something like that. And she said something like, you want to be strong enough to make your own decisions, you know, but she said something about like, you know, induction is there as an option and the science is there to help you, you know, and if you need it, you need it basically. She said something like that. Um, so I thought like, you know, great, you know, she's, you know, she's on board. Um, she would listen to what I say, like what I want and stuff. So I'm like, great, she's the person. And she was. She was up until, <laughs> up until um, you know, the pointy end of the pregnancy. You know? And not to say that it's a bad thing because, you know, obstetricians are trained to to act when shit is a fan. <laughs> like, you know, when everything is going wrong or there's a problem, then you want them there and you want someone that is really experienced in that so that they can help, you know. Um, so it's only natural that they would look for red flags or they will look for um, things, you know, things that might go wrong. But that's also a, a bad thing because they're sensitive to it, right? So that's, you know, one tiny thing would mean something massive when it might not, you know. And me, because I'm anxious naturally, <laughs> you know, I pick up on that stuff. You yeah. Know? So in a way, like I, I was really thankful that she was my obstetrician because she did listen to my concerns and, you know, how how I wanted to go through this, you know, this process of birth. But at the same time, I guess we'll get into, you know, the pointy end as I talk about it um, later on. Yeah, some really good points there. Hopefully that will help, I guess, people who aren't pregnant yet or in the early stages of pregnancy mm. who are like what, what to look out for. And so many women don't know that you can ask these questions. Like, you know, the obstetrician yeah. works for you, really. I mean, you're yeah. hiring them. So, of course, it makes sense that, you know, you, A, want to get along with them because they're going to be there in the most intimate part in your, like, moment in your life. 
but also that their philosophies line up with yours. Um, you want to have that supportive person in the room with you and also in the mm. in the lead up to the birth. So in the last few weeks, things started changing a little bit for you. So tell us a little bit more about your gestational diabetes diagnosis and then how this changed your pregnancy management. Yeah, so um, my gestational diabetes was, it's, it was actually flagged really early because um, in one of the early blood tests, I think it was the one that was to determine <laughs> whether you are pregnant or not. So, you you know, I've done the pee on the stick one, it's CAMBAC positive, but then the doctor wants to confirm it with a blood test. So they did the blood test and um, I think it was first thing in the morning when I went and they, you know, the b- blood results came back and said, ha you're pregnant, yay. <laughs> but then it said that my sugars were high. So um, so then they flagged that early and and because I, it was one of my first um, appointments with my obstetrician, she flagged it early as well and she said, okay, call this lady who was a dietitian and the dietitian will help you manage um, the diabetes and also here's the number for a, a another um, person who's a diabetes educator and go and see her and she will set you on the right path, right? So, of course, I was like, what the f- <laughs> like like you know how how is it that I have my second pregnancy and I didn't have it the first time and um but I have it this time right mm-hmm. then I went down the spiral the the um the spiral of being pissed <laughs> because I'm like what the hell I've been ripped off like you know why is it that the second time I have it first time I did it and then I found out that they had changed the thresholds mm-hmm. and then I was even more pissed because I'm like <laughs> what the f- because it like I'm already an anxious person and you're going to make it more anxious for me because now I have to manage every single thing that I put into my mouth. I have to exercise every day and, like, you know, I have to manage that on top of everything else that I'm trying to get through. Anyway, yeah, so off I went. I did. I made an appointment with a dietitian. I made an appointment with the diabetes educator and she set me up with that, you know, the machine where you have to prick yourself every morning. I was angry, you know, <laughs> um, angry because I felt like I was ripped off. And then yeah. I found out later that, like, they changed the um, the threshold by a tiny bit, right? So, of course, it made me, you know, it put a label on me to say that, yes, I had diabetes this time, you know, whereas if I had the same results last time, I would have had nothing, you know. It is what it is and, you know, it took me a long time to accept it, but I did. Um, and then, you know, after a couple of weeks of speaking to the dietitian and you know I was following everything and it was more stressful to you know manage what you were eating and portion sizes and all of that but I did it and my fasting reading still didn't come down um, under what was you know what was considered optimal and was only ever I think it was like it needed to be under five right the reading is five and um and I felt like the uh, it was always hovering around 4.9, 5.1, 5.3. You know, my highest was probably 5.7, you know. And and because I was anxious, I didn't know, like, and because the whole system is black and white, it's like you are or you're not, right? So, therefore, you know, you have to do other things to keep it down. So, of course, I went to the dietitian and I explained my situation, but, of course, black and white. So, she was like, look, you need to start this, right? The first rule of um, defence against, you know, diabetes lack of a better word, is the tablet. So um, metformin. So, and I, I hate needles and I was like, um, you know, if I can avoid the needles, then, you know, whatever I can do to not have the needles because <laughs> it makes me more anxious, right? 
So I took, I started taking these tablets and I started, um, I think it was like once every, you know, once a day, I think it was. And she started me on the standard one first. But because I, I research and because I had friends around me, um, you know, the right kind of people, I, I have a friend who's a pharmacist and she was like, why didn't she start you on the slow release one? And I'm like, I don't know. Let me ask. <laughs> so, um, you know, so then now this, oh, sorry, not so that this is the endocrinologist, right? So I, obviously the dietitian that said, no, you can't manage it by food. So go see the endocrinologist. So I went to see, yeah. So then she started, she was, um, she hated me too, because she's like, who's this lady and why she keep asking me questions, you know? And I know that now I'm like, I don't care what you think. I'm going to ask my questions. So now, um, you know, the first lot of medicine didn't really work. And when I say didn't work, I was still hovering at 5.2, 5.3 every morning, right? And it's only that tiny bit over. And if um, you weren't pregnant, that would be considered just complete. a totally normal fasting blood sugar level. But because when yes. you're pregnant, you're apparently supposed to be even lower. Even apparently, interesting. Yeah. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's like seven. That's the the normal. You know, if you're not pregnant or something like that. Mm, Maybe, yeah, something you know, like that. Say, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, so and and it's really interesting because I I like my own self-awareness, I know that I'm anxious and I know that um like last time, you know, with my first pregnancy, the induction happened because of, you know, being anxious, my hypertension and all of that. I was like, let me try something else. Right. So I started just sitting there for like 10 minutes before I had to prick. You know, I'd get up, I'd sit there for 10 minutes and I'd do my surge breathing, right? My surge breathing, my relaxation breathing after I had obviously been to your course. And I'd just sit there and, and you know, I'd give my I'd give my son an iPad or something just to keep him occupied and I just, and I noticed that every time I pricked after that 15 minutes, my blood sugar was under five. Like, yes, I had the medicine, yes, but I had weeks of the medicine not really working, right? So... And that tells me that there's so many factors at play here. There's so many different things like, you know, um, and, you know, the diagnosis being so black and white, like, I mean, I felt like it's not fair, <laughs> you know. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. So, yeah, so I ended up managing it in that way. I didn't have to go on insulin even though she gave me the insulin, um, you know, the needle, and she said, you know, if you notice after three days that your blood sugar is high, you need to do the insulin, right? So I, I was able to, you know, avoid that and own, and go throughout my pregnancy with just the medicine. But really, the breathing really helped, you know. And I'm not, like, I'm pretty, like, logical and I'm a pretty, like, you know, what are the facts type person. But, like, that changed everything for me. Wow, that's that's crazy. It's, and I, I often talk about just labels in general and how, you know, any label kind of puts you in a box. Like if you have gestational diabetes, um, you know, if you have a high BMI, if you're over 35 and you're geriatric, which I just love that label. Oh if you're God. IVF, you know, you're just, you are just put under this label. We have this label and you're kind of all treated the same. So if you have blood sugars, if you have gestational diabetes and you have fasting blood sugars of 5.1 in the morning, you're just slightly over and then you're you're in the same risk factor as someone with like crazy blood sugar levels that can't be controlled who might have other factors or they have type 1 diabetes. You're literally put in the same category. And so their risks become your risks and then you're just high risk and you're 
treated as such, which, I mean, I, I think the stress of that in itself, I, I wonder what effects that has, oh, you know, as opposed and, to the label itself. It's, yeah, because, um, you know, and I was talking about before with the uh, the obstetrician, like towards the end, to the towards the pointy end of the pregnancy, um, you know, started to really bring that GD card up and say, you know, because of your gestational diabetes and because it was picked up so early, you know, you're at risk for having diabetes post-pregnancy and therefore we, you know, you need to, you know, we need to look at induction and we need to look at X, Y, Z factors, you know. Mm. And, you know, I yeah, I get it. For somebody that might have really high diabetes and other factors at play, I get it. But I'm telling you that, you know, six days out of seven in a week, my my numbers are so close to the threshold, but you're not, you're not listening to that. You know, you're only mm. looking at the fact that it's over, you know, and I mean, it is what it is and they only know, like they have the information at hand, right? So they're obviously going by what they know, but yeah. I'm like, come on, man, like, you know, this is causing me more stress, you know, and, and you know, hence why I called you like so many times during the pregnancy and I'm like, <laughs> what do I do, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, I can't tell you what to do, but here is the research. Yes. And then you decide for yourself, you know, and I I think, I I mean, that shouldn't really be my job to to share research. I feel like that's what care providers should be doing is saying, well, here's the, you know, World Health Organization recommendations. Here's what the research says. Um, These are the benefits and the risks and you make your own decision rather Mm. than using language to kind of... Mm influence your decision so did you receive yeah that pressure to induce towards the end definitely definitely and towards the end like and and I'm talking 38 weeks you know um no actually it was 37 weeks from the endocrinologist Mm. she said she was like okay what's the plan for birth and I'm like no we're gonna wait to see you know and I'm gonna see how I go towards the end and I want to do I want to deliver as naturally as possible and she said if you wait any longer, there's more chance of something to go wrong. And I was like, what the f-? <laughs> Like, I'm already anxious, man. Like, and yeah, you're making, yeah. you know, you're making me more anxious. Like, and of course I went down the spiral. I'm like, something's going to happen. Something's going to be like really bad. And like, you know, and then I was like, okay, what did they say in the course? <laughs> right. There's a reason why you did this course. And I employed the brain technique and I was like, you know, you like you, okay, I hear you and I know that, you know, doctors and caregivers are notorious for using scary language and all of that, you know. So let me just take that information. Um, I hear you, but, you know, I'll make my own decision. So, of course, I went to my OB and I said to my OB, look, this is my endocrinologist has said, you know, this. She's, um, you know, I don't have to see her until after the the birth because um, my sugars are level. So the numbers are telling me that the metformin is working and, you know, I'm controlling my stress and all of that stuff. And, and by this point I, um, I went off to maternity leave early as well. So, you know, I knew that, um, you know, the work part of it was, you know, was going to hopefully stabilize everything. Like when, when she, when the endocrinologist had said that to me, I said, I'm going to discuss this with my OB. And then I left it. Um, in my inside, I was like, I was scared. Like I was scared. I was like, you know, a professional is telling me that this is going to be a problem, you know, but I had already flagged with myself about the scary language. So I'm like, okay, let's take a second to breathe. (laughs) Yeah. So then, yeah. So 38 weeks, I think I had a scan and the scan, they, when they were looking at um, the measurements, 
one of the measurements, and I can't remember which one it was, was um, not on the trajectory of what they would expect. So the sonographer called my obstetrician. And she actually said, okay, I've got the scans right now. I'm just going to go outside and have a look at them. Right? She said something like that, not to freak me out, right? So she went and called the obstetrician and um, they were talking about like how the growth is not great on one of these and so they, you know, they will need to monitor me, blah, blah, blah. Then I, like the week after I went to see my obstetrician and she said actually they were really worried and they were worried that, um, you know, that that score, whatever it was, was not enough, you know. So they um, they wanted to keep me on a weekly kind of... Um, ultrasound, yeah. Yeah, ultrasound. In order to not freak me out, they, you know, they just said, um, you know, I'll talk to my talk to your obstetrician. So, yeah, so uh, in I was and, you know, there I was for the weekly scan and, you know, that, that week was so, like, hard for me because I was already anxious and, and I knew from the course that, you know, the scans... Like, yes, okay, listen to the scans, but they're not always 100%. So, you know, let's just worry when we have to worry, right? So went in for the next one, um, and it was completely fine, by the way. <laughs> the, the next scan was, you know, completely fine. Um, and they explained it by saying, oh, maybe we caught the – we we did the scan just before a growth spurt. And I'm like, you could have freaking told me that before, so I wouldn't have stressed about it. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so then by this point, though, the obstetrician had already said, like, you know, because of your gestational diabetes and because of this scan, you know, where um, it would be good to start looking at an induction. And I said, okay, let's have a look at it in a week's time when we have the updated scan and we can make a decision from there. And and that's the brain technique, right? And that was like, okay, I need the factors. I need, I need numbers and I need, you know, um, the information to make a proper decision and she didn't push it anymore right she was like okay you know and then you know the week later we were there and I think it was at 39 weeks at this stage and she again had talked about um induction and I was like no I want to wait and and then I think it was at 39 weeks she said okay next week we're going to think about doing a uh, membrane sweep in my first pregnancy the stretch and sweep was so painful and I was not ready for it um, yeah. and, um, it's a, another intervention. doesn't matter what they tell you. It's still an intervention intervention. I kind of like, okay, I just put it off. I'm like, you know, I went to my husband and I said, look, she wants to do this. And I said, no. So then 39 weeks rolls around and, um, you know, the scans and stuff were, you know, okay, better now, but she's still pushing me to book an induction because of the gestational diabetes. And again, I said, like, what are the numbers? And, and I think I was 39.3. 39 plus three at this time or, or plus four. So she was like, okay, you're only a couple of days out from your due date and, you know, we can wait a little bit longer, but if you're not, if, if you don't go into labor before your due date, we need to induce you. She wasn't as that mm. forward, but still, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and then, yeah. And then I think I was, um, you know, I was already worried and I was like, you know, I have to deliver by my due date because, you know, I, I want to invo- avoid induction at, at all costs. And because I, I already knew as well, my scan due date was different to my last menstrual cycle due date. My LMP date was a couple of days before. So, and I know that babies grow, like, like I, I don't birth big babies, right? Because I knew Jaden was small, smaller and, you know, and I wasn't huge. So, and I'm not a huge person. So I knew that I would birth a smaller baby. So in a way, like the facts were telling, like, 
you know, facts in my head, like I need numbers, right? So I yeah. was like, okay, my LMG, LMP due date is this day. I've got a couple days, got a couple of days before my actual due date. So hopefully by then, you know, before that, I'll, I'll go into birth before, I'll go into labor before that. But I was still like scared. I was still scared about what the obstetrician was telling me because she was like, it's like, this is the cutoff date and it has to happen by this date because of your gestational diabetes. It's almost like, your body knows when it's 40 days and it's like it's going to switch on something and something's going to go wrong after yeah. 40 days. That's how I felt, right? Yeah, yeah. You turn into a pumpkin. That's what I often say. Yeah. At 40 weeks, you turn into a yes. pumpkin. I can laugh about that now. But, like, that, <laughs> yeah, that's obviously exactly, not at the time know, yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was 39.4 or whatever and, you know, I, I, I think I called you and I was like, what can I do, like, you know, by this stage I was doing all the breathing every day and I was listening to affirmations when I can. I was, you know, doing the breathing before the prick and all of that, you know. And my yoga ball was my best friend because I was doing the, you know, the circles to open up my hips and yeah. you know, everything that I could do, walk every day, eat the curry, even though, you know, it was giving me heartburn. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I was doing everything. And then I think, um, Tina, you were saying, why don't you try – acupuncture and I was like you know what it's not gonna hurt let's just do it you know so then I went to you know an, an acupuncturist that you had recommended and she she was saying um she did the certain pinch points whatever the whatever they're called the points and um and she said you know once you have an induction date we can we can do like a little bit more stronger but for now you know this is what I'm gonna do and ultimately like I don't know if it worked or not but for me like it if anything, it just helped me relax more. Yeah. And like to the point where I fell asleep my first appointment. Make, making yourself relaxed, I think, has a lot to do with mindset and has a lot to do with how you approach birth, right? Um, and and because I'm, more, I'm an anxious person, I was like, okay, give me all the help that I need. I just need to, you know, calm myself down and yeah. hopefully it will happen naturally. Um, yeah, so I got to the point where I was doing – uh, acupuncture every, I think it was every three, four days or like twice a week or something. And I went to my, one of my last obstetrician appointments and I told her, I'm like, okay, I'm, I've started acupuncture. You know, I was talking about like, um, how do I know I've lost my mucus plug and stuff? Because my mucus plug with Jaden was like, it, like, it was obvious. Like it looked like a little bit of blood, you know, and it looked like it was stretchy and, you know, and I, and I knew because when you Google mucus plug, <laughs> it looked like that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I was telling her and she's like, oh, you know, your mucus plug can look like something else. It can look like snot, like it can look like, you know, it can be white. It doesn't need to be bloody. And then in my head I'm like, oh, if that's the case, I lost it weeks ago. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, yeah, it, yeah, it happened weeks ago. And by this point I was starting to get um, what I thought was cramps, like, you know, it just felt like period pain. Um, not enough to stop me from doing what I was doing, but – Strong, strong enough for me to notice, right? But I just thought it was just something that my body just needed to do. And I think I was talking to you, Tina, and this was the point where I was like, okay, I need to organise everything, you know, now <laughs> because I needed something to keep my mind off it, right? So mm. I think I called you and I'm like, oh, I need the TENS machine. Do you have one? <laughs> where can I buy one from, you know? My cramps didn't regulate. It just kind of happened. Um, yeah, so I was at the stage where you know, the cramps were happening. I, I realised obviously that I lost my mucus plug. I was starting to get Braxton Hicks more often and I felt like I could differentiate now what was a Braxton Hicks contraction and what was just, a, you know, what I called period pain. I felt like the, the Braxton Hicks 
was like, you know, when you go to the gym and you do too many sit-ups or you do too many ab exercises and the muscles like cramp, that's what I felt like Braxton Hicks was. But then the other surge or, you know, the contraction was felt like period pain and it just felt like it was getting a little bit more stronger. So now I know the difference. (laughs) Um, But I started to notice more of the crampy, crampy feeling. Yeah, so then it started to kind of regulate and I I noticed it every hour, every hour and a half, but it wasn't like on the dot, right? So I just put it down to something that has to happen. 39 points, you know, whatever the last one was where you see your obstetrician and she was really pushing, um, she was like, okay, are we doing the stretch and sweep today? And I was like, "Mm, I don't want to, I'm not sure, you know, and and I was rambling a bit and... I think she picked up on my anxiety because she kind of tried to sweep it under the rug. Like she was kind of like, look, when you give birth and, you know, you're breastfeeding and trying to be a mom and sleep deprivation and all of that, this is not going to matter. The switch and sweep right now is not going to matter. And in my mind I'm Mm. like, yeah, but it matters to me. Like, you know, it really hit me, it really hit home that she just thought that it was so routine that it it doesn't really matter. So I asked her and I said, what are the chances that it's going to work? Um, you know, you don't have to worry. There's no risk of infection. There's no, you know. And I was like, okay, can you give me the numbers? Is it going to work? She said it was going to work, right? Um, one in eight. And I was like, one in eight is not that high. Like that's seven chances out of eight that it's not going to work. So I'm like, no, okay, I, I'm okay, you know. But at the same time, I knew that I was dilated, but I also needed to know that I was progressing and, you know, I needed something to hold on to. So then I said, okay, I'm happy to do a internal exam and then we can make a decision from there. And then she was still pushing, like she was still saying, okay, the stretch and sweep is, you know, you're going to do an internal exam anyway, so we can do the stretch and sweep. And I was like, mm, I don't know, you know, it kept going back and forth. It got to the point where I was lying on the bed and she had done the ultrasound and now it was time to do the in- internal exam. So she was up there, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and she was like, okay, are we doing this? And in the moment I said, no. Mm. And she was like, okay I'm like and I'm you know and and I know now like I went with my gut and that was you know um the best thing that I could have done at that point but it was scary like you're going up against a doctor like and she was already up there you know (laughs) (laughs) and um and she had and in that same appointment I remember her telling me because of gestational diabetes and because of the risk of stillbirth associated with um gestational diabetes and she told, and I said, what are the numbers again? Like, tell me the numbers of what is stillbirth. And she said one in 350. And in my mind, I'm like, 350, that's, that's a lot. 350 is a lot, you know? And, um, but in, in, I had, I can't explain it, but there was a feeling in my gut that said, no, stick to the plan. Like, you know, you know, you know that they're going to use scary language. You know that they're going to say all this stuff. So, you know, in the end, I ended up booking the induction date for 40 plus four or 40 plus three, I think it was a week later. Um, but in my head, I'm like, okay, you know what, chance, like let's look at what's happening now. I'm already feeling the surges. I'm already, I lost my mucus plug. I'm already feeling these cramps. And and she just told you shit that you're three centimeters dilated because we did the internal exam, right? Yeah. So all those factors, and because, you know, you were telling me like, is it prodo- prodomal, prodomal, prodromal label? That stuff can last for weeks, <laughs> right? So in my head, I'm like, all these factors are really good. Let's just stick to it. And in a week's time, if it still hasn't happened, then okay, we can look at induction. You know, I left that appointment, um, you know, having said no to the um, the stretch and sweep, but also really anxious that had I had made the wrong decision 
And I think I called my husband and I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, you know, she, she seems to think that, you know, we need to have this induction and, you know, because of my gestation, I have diabetes and all of that. And my husband said, look, you've already left, right? You, like in, your, in the moment at that time, you knew that it was the right decision for you. So let's just see what happens. Right. Um, and I called you, of course. And um, and I think you were saying, like, you know, ha- if it was dire, she wouldn't have let you leave the room. Yeah. If it was yeah. really, really important that I needed to have this induction, she wouldn't have let me go. Like, I would have gone straight into hospital and they would have done all of that. But, it, you know, that's and that's the facts and figures in my mind, you know. But at the same time, I was like, but still, she's a doctor and she's the expert. And, you know, I have to listen to the doctor. And I think this is me going into patient mode realization just then, like, yes, but again, still really anxious. So, you know, I tried to just breathe and take it all in and concentrate on, you know, what's going to happen in the next week or, you know, all of that. But the next day I was still really anxious. Um, I had done my acupuncture and, you know, I went to my appointment and did all the breathing, did all the affirmations and I was still really, really anxious. And um, so I booked an appointment with my counsellor and counselling is really helpful for me because I can just blah, like let it all out and make a decision for myself. And and I was really lucky that she was able to fit me in. And she, you know, she said the same thing to me and she said, look, yes, she's a doctor and, yes, she knows, you know, every single thing that can go wrong, but, like, if it was that dire, for lack of a better word, if it was that dire, she would have made you sign something to say that I was going against medical advice or she would have, yeah. you know, she made me realise that it was more about what she was not saying than what she was saying. So then it made me okay with my decision um, and it made me okay with um, she would not have let you leave if, if it was a problem. So then I was like, okay, let's control, let's think about things I can control, right? So I can keep walking and I can keep relaxing and I can keep doing all my aff- affirmations and all of that. So that's what I did. And, and I think it was that night that, um, you know, I said to Merv, let's go for a walk. And he was like, okay, well, we need to eat dinner. So let's go to our, you know, shopping center and let's just walk around the shopping center and let's go eat dinner. We were sitting there and we we're having grilled, you know, burgers. <laughs> and we were sitting there and I'm like, huh. That one's a bit strong. <laughs> and and I was too busy dealing with my son, my, my toddler. So Merv went in, um, you know, I think Merv took Jaden to time zone or something, <laughs> like, you know, on the other side of the shopping centre. And I was sitting there with Eli and we were just eating our burgers and, and we finished and I was like, okay, let's walk over to where they are. Then I walked over and, and at one point I was nearly there and I was like, I, I just had, I had to stop. Like, and I was like, okay, what's going on right now? Like, you know, and I get there and my husband was like, he saw it in my face and he's like, are you okay? And I said, I didn't say anything. I just went like, I just shook my head. And then he was like, okay. And he like sprung into action, right? He knew because I had, you know, he, he was reading all the stuff. He knew what to look for, right? And, you know, that's the great thing about the course being empowering the birth partner. So he, um, he was like, okay, stay here. He went to get the car. He got the car. We all sat in the car and then it started to be like, okay, these are getting pretty strong right now. You know, remember your breathing and all of that. And then, you know, all the way home and, you know, the shopping center is only 15 minutes away. So I was, I think in that time, that 15 minute car ride, I had to kind of stop and breathe for maybe twice. So that tells me that, you know, it was about 10 minutes apart or something, you know, eight minutes apart. 
Um, and then we get home and I was like, okay, I know what to do now. I'm going to put my affirmations on. I'm going to get in the bath. But at the same time, I didn't want to get too hopeful because I was kind of like, you know, if this is not labor, I don't want to get disappointed. So yeah, got in the bath and then, you know, I put on a TV show because I'm like, keep my mind off it, right? Yeah. And then, um, and then it kind of fizzled out. Like I was like, oh, okay, the next one's coming, next one's coming. But it didn't. It just kind of, you know, just kind of stopped. And I said to my husband, okay, so, you know, this is, this is not, this is not it. We went to bed early. I think it was like nine or nine 30. I went to bed, um, went to sleep and, you know, tried to, I fell asleep, I think really quickly. And it was just another night. Right. And then at 3am in the morning, I got woken up (laughs) 3am in the morning. And I was like, okay, what's this, what's going on. Right. And I just tapped my husband and, um, and he, he, (laughs) he sprung into action. He was like, okay, you know. Uh, and I was like, I need to go to the toilet. So I just went to the toilet, went to pee. And then uh, it started happening more, more like regularly. I think it was like every eight minutes or something. So I got in the shower and um, started to do light touch and, you know, all of that. Um, and we were using the water in the shower to kind of be on my back. And, and I st- found myself doing all the swaying and stuff. I'm like, oh, what's this? Like, you know, <laughs> Merv was timing and he was like, oh, it's every four minutes, right? that it starts and I'm like oh shit that's like really quick isn't it <laughs> so he called the um birth unit and he told them look we're hypnobirthing and we're you know we've um she's at this stage right now and you know and he told them everything that they needed to know but she she was like oh can I talk to her I think they wanted to see if I was like able in to like, be comprehensive yeah. enough yeah 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 because apparently you know if you're in pain you can't talk apparently mm. <laughs> Um, yep. Yeah, and I think that she was, like, trying to get me to explain how I was feeling so that she could time when I had to stop and therefore time a contraction surge. I was just breathing through it and um, and I said, okay, one's coming, <laughs> you know, and I kind of went and she could hear. So then she knew that my contractions were, my, my surges were, um, I think it was like six minutes or five minutes apart. Um, so then she's like, okay, by all means get everything ready if you need, you know, grandparents to come over and look after grandchildren and all of that you better do that now and in my head I'm like no I think I'm you know I think I can do it a little bit longer right but then I had this this thing in my head about no like I went into patient mode and I was like oh no you want to be at the hospital when it's happening right so um and of course the midwife was like yeah you need to you know get everything ready so it made me think that okay what's going to happen really soon um yeah, so then called grandparents, um, you know, Jaden was still asleep and Eli was still asleep. So we got in the car and um, and I put my AirPods in and I was listening to my affirmations. It was really helpful with one of the affirmations where um, there was a countdown because one of the things in my head was, look, it's only going to last a minute and you can do anything for a minute, right? So that was my affirmation that I kind of held on to. So the tracks was like counting down from 10 to 1. And, and, and I found myself like scrubbing back just to that point because I knew that when I was having a surge that it was going to end soon, you know, and then I'd get a break. So then get, got to the hospital. Um, we went through emergency because it was, you know, 5 a.m. in the morning and the main, main entrance wasn't open. And, you know, we told the midwives we were here and the midwife sent down a wardsman and the wardsman came with his wheelchair and I was walking. I was like, you know, okay, it's okay. I'm all right. You know, I can walk. And then a surge happened and, 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 and I was like, okay, I'm going to sit in the seat now, <laughs> the wheelchair. So he, so we went off to the birth unit and Merv knew what to do. So he dimmed the lights. He gave, he 
had the birth preferences. He gave them to the midwife, um, and the midwife asked, uh, I think she asked me, "Do you want an internal?" And then um, Merv took over, and she was, and he was like, "No, <laughs> um, not yet, anyway." Yeah. So then that was, uh, I think it was about five thirty, and then five thirty till nine thirty, it was all a haze. Like it was all of breathing and staring out of the window because it, the birth unit overlooked one of the national parks. So it was really good for me for the Zen, <laughs> like to keep kind of yeah. my mind open. Yeah. And it was literally like in between shower, birth ball, the couch with hanging over and all the three back again. Right. So yeah, I don't even know what time it was. And then I think it was 9.30 or something. And um, I was in the bath, you know, earlier on in the morning, I hated the bath. I was like, no, I can't be still like, this is not working for me, you know, but by this point, I don't know why, but uh, you know, the bath was suddenly so like, it was amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> And it's funny how that happens. Yeah. Like sometimes things don't work or sometimes you're like, I love this. And then all of a sudden you're like, I hate this now. Yes. Yes. And the same thing was with the TENS machine. Like um, I really wanted the TENS machine to work, <laughs> but maybe, I don't know. It just, it just didn't work for me. I tried everything like different positions and different settings and it just didn't work. And also the affirmations were working for me up until a certain point. And then, I don't know, maybe I was in and out of consciousness because I was in the bath and I think I said something like, turn that shit off. <laughs> yeah. Or like, I can't like stop, you know, I, you know, the affirmations. And then it the sounds nurse like was you're like, getting close to transition. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I know that now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the midwife was like, why don't you try some music? Right. So we have a band that we really like and they do acoustic covers and it's literally like two singers and a guitar and it's really relaxing. So um, we put that on and it was really like, it was actually really beautiful. I wish I had a birth like photographer because me and Merv were singing in between contractions. We were singing and Merv can sing and I can sing and we can like, we can harmonize and that's our you know thing in the car and you know, all of that. So we just like when, when and it was really, really nice. And yeah, and I think I was in and out of in and out of knowing what was going on and what was not because my obstetrician walked in and um and I was like, Oh, is that is that the doctor? And and she was like, Yes it is and you know, so I don't even know what time it is, I don't know what's happening, like, you know, all I knew was I was in the was in the bath and I was listening to music. But then it started to get really like intense and really strong. And I think that was a point there in and out when I was in and out of um, consciousness, I didn't know what was going on and I heard her I heard the doctor say, I think she's fell asleep. <laughs> and and because I was awake, I was like, No, I'm not <laughs> I was like because I was in and out, right? Yeah. Um, you know, maybe it was a couple of minutes after that or maybe it was an hour, I don't know. But she she said, Oh, her contractions are, are really like spacing out. And spacing out means I think it was maybe ten minutes in between them. And she said it like it was a bad thing. And I was like, What does that mean? Why is it spacing out? Has it stopped? Of course, I'm an overthinker. I, you know, spiral. We we were in and out of um, each of these waves, like every, you know, for the next hour probably. And she kind of, the in between, there was a couple of midwives. I think it was shift change or something. I don't know. But I had another midwife come in, and I know this now. But she was like coaching, right? She was trying to get me to push, right? And and because you're in patient mode, well, I was a little bit in patient mode. And because I was in the middle of, you know, contractions, I wasn't in any fit state to comprehend anything. So I just listened. And she said, 
why don't you try to push? Like I was on all fours and she was looking at my butt <laughs> and looking at, you know, what was happening. And she was like, it's like you're doing a poo. I'm like, I know this, I know this, right? So I'm like, okay, I tried. And she was like, oh, that was a good one, you know? And I'm like, yeah, but it's not happening. Like I, I think, again, in and out of consciousness. So I said, there's nothing there. Like I think I was in that tone too. Yeah. And so she knew to, to lay off. Yeah. But then the other midwife came back and the other midwife, I think she must have gone on a drink break or something. And she told the covering midwife, she doesn't want that. And I was really thankful for that. Right. So, yeah. So then back to the bath we were and, you know, and, and by this point as well, my waters hadn't bro broken yet. So I was like, How, you know, what's going on? Has my waters broken? Like, what's going on? You know, and they like in the bath, there was like, oh, she was saying, oh, there's a little bit of membrane there or something, you know, something had come out. Right. But again, that was another thing that I was like another red flag in my mind. It's like, my waters haven't broke yet. Like, you know, my contraction is spacing out. What's going on? So then they said like the obstetrician, I think she pulled, pulled Merv away and said, look, these are our options. Either we can let her keep going, but we don't know whether it's going to happen in two minutes, whether it's going to happen in two hours or two days. No one knows, right? So she said we should break her waters. Um, and and by this point, yeah, I was like, I was saying saying to Merv, and, and now I know it was my transition because I was saying to Merv, it's too hard, I can't do it. You know, it's really, really hard. And the midwife... I think the obstetrician had gone somewhere else, right? And the midwife was like, this is what we can do, right? Why don't we do an internal in internal and I can tell you how far along you are. And in my mind, I'm like, that's great. Like, you know, like, yes, give me something to hold on to. I need something to hold on to. Yeah. She did the internal and she said I was eight to nine centimetres. Wow. And I like that was what I needed to kind of to be like, okay, I've done it all by myself up until this point. Yeah. It's not that far away, right? And there was, and I realized obviously that, and yeah, at this point after the transition, I was like, there was something I haven't tried yet. Or maybe she suggested like, what about gas? So then I was like, oh yeah, gas. Yes. Okay. That's, that's another tool I have, right? Took the gas and it was really helpful. And I don't know, I don't know exactly how long it was between that and when I was fully dilated, but um, it was really helpful. Yeah. It, it really just took the edge off, took it back to a point where, yes, I know I can handle it now, but again, my waters hadn't broken yet and we like I don't know what was being said because I was you know in the zone but my obstetrician again took my aside and said look I think we need to do something right so and I think the obstetrician was saying something like midwives have been breaking waters for you know for centuries you know so again trying to downplay like the severity of it but I, of course I had already had my transition and and I'd already said I want the epidural <laughs> You know, but of course it was too late. And then the midwife said, okay, why don't you try and get up and, and walk, walk and walk to the bed and see, cause sometimes the walk will be enough to break your waters. And we did. And I got out of the bath and it was really hard to do. <laughs> and I got out yeah. of the bath and we got to the, the bed, but again, it didn't happen. So then I was at the point, like, why didn't I try sitting on the toilet? Or why didn't I try, um, you know, other positions that would kind of help that but um yeah but again but, you're in the I mean you're not you thinking know. at that time and that's I'm really like why don't mm. they suggest that <laughs> right yes and, you try and, and again sitting on the toilet or you know like yeah. if there's no medical need to break your waters like you just want to speed things along like you know why don't you yeah do some some other things. other things yeah yeah and that and after the birth I was actually really pissed that I didn't get my 100% natural birth, you know, and had they had told me about why my contract, my, my surges had spaced out, 
which, you know, you told me later, it was the rest and be thankful phase where, you know, it's your body's way of giving you a break um, before, you know, the main the main um, birth, you know. So yeah. Well, they could have even said had a na- have a nap. Have a nap. And get yeah, your they energy could, up yeah, they for when the pushing starts because, you know, when you're going to need it. Yeah. So had I had known all of that, like that would have given me enough to hold on and to keep going, stay the path, you know. But I didn't and because it was their job to tell me all my options but they didn't. So I was pissed. I was pissed at the time. But, you know, in the end, yes, they broke my waters and Merv was telling me that the the midwife that we liked, <laughs> she was the one that broke my waters. And, um, and I think they thought that it would be, you know, a little bit of time before you know, the actual pushing starts. But literally she she was like, okay, Merv, can you press the button? Like it's happening now. Literally like 30 seconds, not even 30 seconds after they broke the waters. So that tells me that I was fully dilated and I was ready to go. It's just that the, you know, my, my waters hadn't broken yet. But again, I'll never know if it, they would have broken naturally or if they, you know, if they wouldn't have, it is what it is. So then um, literally it was two minutes after that, that Christopher was born and my obstetrician explained it to me later. She said, you know, um, so you weren't getting the urge to push because the waters were blocking something. That's what she explained to me. Mm, maybe like sort um, of like a cushioning kind of thing. Cushioning, so get yeah. into the pelvis, you know, and yeah, trigger that, yeah. that response. Yeah. And, you know, after the, the waters broke, I, I was like, I remember I was still in and out of the gas, but I was really almost scared. Like, because all of these things were happening happening to me and I had no control. I, like I remember feeling this burning, which I know now is the ring of fire. And like, you know, but because I was so hazy, Merv was right in my face, right? So I was like, okay, Merv's here. He will never let anything happen to me. Everything will be okay. The ner- you just have to trust what the nurses are doing right now and trust your, that your body will do what it needs to do. Like it felt like ages but I think it was only like a four or five minute thing you know and um and next thing I know you know I heard Christopher cry and he was on my chest and I I was in this haze of like like I could hear him cry but at the same time my body was just like flopped you know and (laughs) yeah like a like mix of exhaustion and elation as well that you know I did it and everything was okay and then um they were okay so it was at the like you know it was at the time when the placenta had to be birthed and they were preparing the is it syntocin the needle whatever the needle is to birth the placenta and Merv saw and Merv was like what's that and she's like oh you know it's this thing the syntocin or whatever and Merv said no she doesn't want that and she's like oh okay <laughs> You know, and then I love um, that he's just like on guard. Yeah, he's like, hey, no. what are you doing? She's like, no. <laughs> yeah, and Merv's such a nice guy that he said it in his own yeah. way, right? So yeah. yeah, and I think she was a bit like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, because it's so automatic for mm. them to do that. Yeah. So yeah. So then I birthed the placenta, and um, that was yeah, it was all done. And then you know, Christopher was crying, so I'm like, okay, I know now. Breastfeeding, boop. <laughs> Boot fixes everything. So I, you know, yeah. So I said, I said to the nurse, I, I'm going to put him on boot. And she's like, okay. And, you know, 10 minutes later, he stopped crying because he was on the boot. Um, and it's really interesting because, like, post birth, I, I felt like I was fine. Like, I was tired, obviously, but, you know, I had a nap and everything was okay. And I don't know if it was the syntocinin, but I, uh, like, I was bleeding. I don't know if it was a lot, but I had clumps. Like, I had, I think I was on, yeah. sitting on the toilet and I was peeing and then literally I heard something 
like fall into the toilet bowl and I'm like, what are my insides coming out? Like, you know, and um, I I called the nurse and the nurse was looking at it and she had to call the other nurse <laughs> and they were a little bit worried. I'm like, and one of the nurses asked me like, why didn't you want the syntocin? And I said, because I want, I wanted it natural. And I, you know, I, you know, I didn't exactly know why, but I knew that I wanted less, less drugs as possible. Right. Mm -hmm. And I really felt the benefits of it later because, um, I, I just felt like I bounced back quicker. I was, um, I didn't have as many ups and downs like of mood and I didn't really have like the postnatal depression and stuff like that. And maybe because I knew I was getting myself into, you know, second baby and all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I felt like I equalized, like, and I bounced back to normal. I don't know if it's because mm. it's personal, because of natural birth and all of that. Yeah. But I, it has a part to play. Yeah. Yeah. Just so many good takeaways from that, like some good tips for mums and how they can, um, you know, adopt different positions, different techniques, but also, you know, how to make informed decisions and highlighting some great things about your support team and making sure that the people in the room know exactly what you want. Because, yeah, when you're in that state, man, anyone could suggest anything to you and yes. you'd be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. Because <laughs> you are not there. Like, yeah, you're not in there. and out. And sometimes I describe it like it's kind of like you're drunk, you know, when you're not you're not quite there. Um, yes. It's just, yeah, it's just a it's different so, or labor land, yeah. they call it, right? You don't know what the time mm. is. You don't really know what's happening. So the best, one of the best things to do is just leave mum alone and don't really mm. offer her anything or ask her questions when she's having a surge definitely because mm. she's not going to answer you or yeah you know, because she's I, not really taking in the information no i felt like i was so i mean your whole body has to concentrate on this one thing so there's no room in there for anything else <laughs> you know i just you know you have to get through so you have to block everything else out so you really are reliant on the people around you to help you through it um and to make those yeah. decisions for you. Thanks, Debbie, so much for taking the time out to share your story. And what I will do is also just leave your um, Instagram in the show notes. So if anyone wants to hear more about you or connect with you, they can also find you there. So, yeah, thank you so much again. Bye. No problem. Thanks for having me. Bye.